Hello and welcome to the Albion Obsessed podcast. It wouldn't be a trip to London to face Tottenham Hotspur without some agonising disappointment. So we are here today to unpick that for you. We've also got a special guest that will be joining us uh, very shortly. But in the meantime, I'm here with Joe and Dagan to talk about the Spurs game. But before we do that, let's just quickly find out how Joe and Dagan are. Joe, my friend, it's beautiful to see you as always. How are you? Yeah, good to see you as always, Tom. Um, good to be here. Um, yeah, as you say, it wouldn't be a trip to Spurs without some sort of uh, agonising pain afterwards. Not um, as agonising as last year, though, was it? Not quite, not quite. But a 97-minute equaliser, a winner even. Ugh, yeah, crap. But no, uh, I'm okay. Good, I'm glad to hear it. And we also join our stateside correspondent, Dagan. Dagan, my friend, it's lovely to see you. How are you? Hey, good morning, Tom. I'm doing okay. Would rather have would rather have three points than zero points. Uh, I'm not going to say anything about the one point, uh, but it would have been nice to, to have a draw too, I guess. But you know how Definitely. I am about it. I, I want the three points. I always want the three points. Uh, and despite Ainge being lovable, I still loathe the Spurs. It's blooming annoying that Ange Postacoglu comes across as such a nice person and it really sort of gets in the way of the anti-Spurs. I, I wouldn't call myself anti-Spurs, but I certainly don't... I can't warm to Spurs, let's put it that way. And Ange yeah. just made it so much harder to sort yeah. of have that that distance, isn't it? It's annoying. Yeah, right. Damn I mean, you, Phil. Yeah, I mean, he had probably the best comment I've heard aloud about this new blue card nonsense, right? Like... Uh, and I was like, oh, of all people that has to say it, but he, he's direct. He's to the point. He speaks his mind. He speaks with passion. Um, in a lot of ways, he reminds me of Deserby. Uh, he's kind of an iconoclast too, which I admire. So yeah, there's just a lot to like about him, but gosh, I do not like the Spurs and I do not like Romero. Ah, no, no, I, I totally understand. Um, let's, let's, uh, let's start uh, at the beginning, Joe. Um, oh. Um, some news came in, filtered in, um, before a ball was even kicked, uh, that young Jack Hinchelwood, who has been an absolute star uh, this season, um, was going to be out injured. Um, he's been phenomenal um, since really coming into the uh, first team, starting 11, playing as, a, as an inverted right back. Um, he's been absolutely excellent. And um, we've said on the podcast before that, you know, it's his space to lose. So um, when he, we found out that, yeah, he wasn't going to be involved, he's got an injury that which could see him out for potentially the rest of the season. But fingers crossed that isn't the case. Um, what, were, what were your immediate thoughts? Were you sort of worried about the balance of our, of our starting eleven, given that we, we saw Lamptey and Purvis um, at the same time? Yeah, it didn't so much bother me about who would come in for him because obviously Lamptey being fit is is a really good thing um, for us. And and as I said in the group chat yesterday, Lanty, when fit and firing, is one of our best players. He can get us up the pitch. He can give us a new dynamic. And um, I wasn't... Had it have been just a normal change of Hinch is sitting out for a bit, Lanty's coming in, I probably wouldn't have been too bothered by it. Um, but the fact that it's Hinchel was injured really, yeah, sticks a dagger into the heart because... As you say, local lad has scored three Premier League goals for us already, um, has put in some incredible performances in the Europa League for us, notably Athens away. Going going to somewhere like that 
and, and being the big guy to step up and, and really put in a, a 10 out of 10 performance is some doing. Um, and it's clear the mentality he brings to the squad. It's clear um, the, the work rate he brings, you know, starting at right back and, and popping up with goals at the far post twice. Um, he, he's got a, a wand of a right foot on him as well. Can get some really good crosses in, um, makes really intelligent runs and knows where he's meant to be defensively as well. We've got such an incredibly well-rounded footballer there, so it's gutted, uh, uh, yeah, gutting to lose him. Um, don't know for how long. Um, it's a broken foot and he's having surgery probably around eight eight to ten weeks, I'd say. Um, so, yeah, hopefully he can come back and, and take his spot again. Um, but then, you know, to look at the positive side of it, it's a chance for Veltman and Lamptey to, to really uh, make... make make the most of their opportunity um, and, and play well there. Yeah, definitely. We'll, we'll certainly talk about one of the, uh, both of those players, actually, um, as we go on. Um, Dagan, another big injury blow, João Pedro, um, has been phenomenal again for us this season, uh, scoring so many important goals across various competitions. Um, a big ask then for Danny Welbeck uh, to, to step up and... Um, you know, take that role. Yeah, Welbeck had a good chance early on and he won us the penalty um, that saw Pascal Gross score from the spot. Um, but still a huge miss because he just gives us so much. Yeah, look, there's 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 no shock that, you know, I know we scored two penalties against him last time, but we did put in four goals. Um, Joe Pedro was a huge part of that. And, you know, not having him yesterday, we managed, I think, 0.45 non-penalty XG. Um, you know, the XG was, you know, over one looked great. Oh, sure. It's a normal game, but you take away that, that penalty, which was, I think like almost 0.8 of the total, uh, it was 0.79 for the, the tribute to it. Uh, yeah, it, you lose him in all of the creative powers that he brings. Um, you're already, you know, playing without a right wing in many respects, because Florinate is not a right winger and he, you know, he's out there. So you just, yeah, we just did not have a lot of athleticism in the center of the park. And yeah, we're just a different team without him, period. We're just a different team. Uh, and I know I talk about this all the time, but he just brings an energy and a swagger that it's hard to replicate. Uh, and you need somebody, I think, leading the line that that brings that, that just strikes fear in the heart of the other team. And I feel like Matoma is that often on the wing. Um, but, you know, I think he's not going to do it alone uh right now and I, I mean i will say yesterday i thought we didn't feed him enough but maybe we'll talk about that later i, I thought he should have had more opportunities with poro limping around out there but no i yeah worried to say the least seeing Jao pedro's name not on the team sheet uh you know for me he's our player of the season at this point i know i know there are other close close runners that we'll talk about today but he's been sensational and it's the reason i got his name on my shirt Came in the mail this week. Got my new shirt. Was ready to see Jao Pedro. Wear my Jao Pedro shirt. Sing the song. No Jao Pedro. That's kind of encapsulates the season, right? <laughs> yeah, it does. I think just the injuries has just been so bad. I've never known a, a season quite like it. Um, you mentioned there about Matoma. And Matoma coming back from the Asian Cup. That was a huge plus. Um, one of the things that caught a lot of people's attention, it seems something we say almost every week now, uh, changing goal, Jason Steele back in for Bart Verbrugge. Um, I don't think Verbrugge did anything that warranted getting dropped after the, the Palace game. So it was a bit of a, a head scratcher for me. 
um, obviously Steele perhaps um, sort of justified his uh, his position in the in the starting eleven, Joe, um, because I think for large parts of that that second half of the first half, he certainly kept us in the game. Yeah, it's um, somewhat annoying when you you want to make a decision as to who you want your number one to be. And then Bart puts in a fantastic performance against Palace. Yes, maybe he could have done better for their goal, but it was a great header. And I will repeat that. It was a really good header. Um, And then (laughs) Jason Steele drops a stinker at Luton and then sort of makes up for it with, with, as you say, Tom, some really good saves and and a really solid performance, Um, especially with how we started the game and how we wanted to sort of build from the back and um, be that, force in the game and not let Spurs stop us from playing our game. It, it, it's easy for a goalkeeper low on confidence to to just hoof it and, and to be to be done with it. But he he didn't seem to have the the worried head that I maybe thought he would have after a, a really shocking display at Luton. Um that being said, obviously the mentality of, of the goalkeepers has been really good. Um and you know they're they're waiting for for their chance to show why they should be starting the next game. Um, but then where does that where does that stop? Where how, how much do they have to prove to Zerbi if they know that oh, it's okay? I'll I'll be back in 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 a couple of games time. So for me, that there has to be a, a change now where they are really sh- showing what a number one in a Zerbi side has to bring. Um, and I think Deserby has to make a decision as to who's his number one, um, because we've conceded a lot of goals this season. Yes, down to us losing Moises Caicedo and Alexis McAllister, but a lot of that has to be on the fact that we keep changing our goalkeepers week in week out. Um, so something's got to give now. I think. Just uh, add to your to your last point about the number one. I feel like he must feel compelled to play Bart because of the investment, because he's the future. The fact that Steele's playing, I think, tells me that Deserby leans more towards Steele for whatever reason. Like, that's the only, I feel like, real insight I can generate in my own mind about what he must think. Because if, if he was leaning in any way towards Bart, I think the club would be really supportive of Bart having the chance. I can't imagine their internal forces in the club that are like, no, you need to play the aging goalkeeper that's, you know, maybe at his best right now, but isn't going to probably get a whole lot better versus this guy who we know is going to get better. His value is going to go up. Right. I mean, if we, if we sold steel tomorrow or sold him a year from now, like his value is only going to go down. Verbruggen's is going to go up and, and good performances are going to raise that value if we if we do move him along or if we keep him and he's, you know, leading us to great places. Um, yeah. The one other, other comment I would make is at this point, like I don't even say it's dropping. It's just another rotation, you know, like it doesn't. And I don't think either one of them feels dropped at this point. How could you? Right. Because there's never been a sense of it's my job. Um, which I think is hard. And I think it's hard on the defense. Um, I will say, I don't think yesterday was one of the first games that I felt like there were no ill effects that you could point to that were related to communication um, in my, in my book, um, except is maybe that, that last. Sorry, Dagan, is that communication from the goalkeeper or generally? Communi- communication like in the goalkeeping area. Yeah. Um, you know, guys not being marked, like we've conceded so many goals with just a completely unmarked player in the box. And, you know, you would think the goalkeeper is, is calling those things out, even even on set pieces where there's a guy at the far post who's just cleanly unmarked. 
and you're like, surely someone needs to be directing traffic. Um, and it just seems like all the pieces aren't connected anyway. Uh, yeah, it's hard to be mad at steel yesterday for sure. Joe, I think you're, you're dead on. Um, distribution was good. Shot stopping was good. Uh, I do think he second guessed the excellent save he made early. I think he didn't want to make the mistake he made at Luton and rush out on a ball that I thought he probably could have gotten to. And then he got stuck and had to make a great save. And I, I do think he started timid. And I think after that, he was like, I got this. Let's go. Um, and sometimes for goalies, it seems like they make one great save early and then they have a blindingly good game. Um, it's a, it's a fascinating thing. Uh, yeah. I wish you had Aaron to, to give us the insight on the goalkeeper, <laughs> goalkeeper yeah, mentality and how that ebbs and flows. It's, it's a huge thing. Like when you talk about players coming into a really tough game, it's all about the first touch, the first tackle, the first shot on goal, um, wherever you may be playing. But for a goalkeeper, yeah, you're right. Like it's always the first save that just really gets them into the flow of the game. And um, yeah, put, put still in good stead. Yeah, it certainly did. And I think, you know, you flip that round. Uh, we we said early on in the group chat that after um, a few sh- saves from Vicario, that we thought we'd be up against another world of it. I mean, we started really, really brightly. Welbeck had a really early chance um, that was well clawed away. Um, but we did eventually sort of, you know that that we that I always think of like the first half um, as it was almost two halves of the first half. You know, the first half of the first half. Well, that's a mouthful. Um, we seemed to be very positive, um, and you know, we went, we went, uh, we had a chance very early, and then of course we won the penalty quite early. Um, now that all came through Welbeck. You know, uh, it was high press. We won the ball back. Ball fed into Welbeck in the box, and it was just it was so well worked. And then when Welbeck went down, it was you know clear cut penalty. Um, Dagan, was there ever part of you that was a bit worried that without Joe Pedro on the pitch, you know, who, who's going to step up, take that penalty? Um, and is it going to go in? Because, you know, obviously Pedro's got a 100% record with us. So what, 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 what were your thoughts? Yeah, well, I, I posed that question on Twitter to see what people thought. A lot of people shouted Purvis. I didn't include Purvis in the in there, and I should have because he does take penalties for Ecuador. Um, that That seemed to be the second thought to Pascal Gross, who had taken penalties previously. Um, but hadn't taken one since back in 2022. Uh, and that was a miss and he hasn't had one since, um, that was a game, uh, and what, but Welbeck had taken one and made it since then, uh, in a game that neither gross or McAllister played in, uh, also back in 2022. So it's been a while since anyone other than McAllister or John Pedro took a penalty, um, felt like gross. He, yeah. And to be fair, I know Welbeck was the one tackled that earned us the penalty, but it was gross's winning the ball deep in the opponent's territory again, again, uh, to give us an opportunity. You guys know I I ebb and flow with Pascal Gross a little bit, uh, maybe more than some who sort of worship at the Pascal Gross altar uh, as you know the best Albion player ever. Um, and I mean, and his long-term credentials are there. You know, when his pace gets exposed, I get concerned. Um, he he has been locked in, locked in. Um, and I know that's, that's not a question related to the penalty, but he's, he's been, you know, the assist numbers, but defensively yesterday, uh, to your to your point you raised about getting both uh, Lamptey and Supinon further up the pitch, Gross was often the one dropping deeper and often, especially on Lamptey's side, making blocks. He had several blocks yesterday where he just anticipated the space, read the cross, got in front, and, and not only blocked it, but cleared it out, dribbled it out, and then played it forward to Lamptey. Um, I mean, he... He was sensational. I mean, we know his brain is 
an incredible, an incredible soccer, uh, you know, soccer robot, um, if you will. But he, yeah, he was great, and he finished, and it was much needed, and it felt like okay, we may have something here. Uh, it's the work. hope that kills you, isn't it? It's the hope that kills you. Yeah, I thought I that before from y'all. Yeah, I, th- I think you're right. You're right, Dagan. And it actually, um, it, it brings us on to something I wanted to talk about today, anyway, and that was just how we've been setting up tactically. Um, I tell you what, I know I'm jumping ahead here quite a bit, but there was something quite remarkable about seeing Jean-Paul Van Hecker pressing like at the edge of their box in the 79th minute. It was just, that's that's what the tactics were. It was just, you know, man for man marking all over the pitch and Duncan Van Hecker were constantly sort of pressing so high up. And that's where you need those footballing brains. Like you say, Pascal Gross um, sort of dropping deeper and looking to intercept the ball. I mean, Joe, you're a big fan of Van Hecker and rightfully yeah. so. I think it was fair to say that he was probably the best defender on the pitch yesterday. Um, what did you make of Brighton's tactics um, pressing as high as they did at times? Yeah, point on Van Hecker being the best defender on the pitch at times yesterday, I think he's been one of the best defenders in the Premier League this season. I think he's been definitely um, slightly ahead of Dunk, if not maybe a little bit further ahead of Dunk. He, he, the way he's come on has been just fascinating to watch. Um, and, you know, making some really important tackles yesterday. So smart defensively. He's so, he's quick and he's strong. And that's what you you want from a centre-back. You you want someone that can recover um, and and put in a really last-ditch tackle when when needed. Um, just talking about his <laughs> his role going forwards in the 79th minute and the way that we wanted to get on the front foot and win that game. I loved what uh, Andrea Maldera said afterwards. This is us. This is how we play football. That is our identity. Yes, we know we might lose because we play that way. However, we want to go out there and be the ones to win the game. Um, and, you know, the, the I, I want this to be the An- Andrea Maldera appreciation section because the, the fact that he's led the team all week no Deserby, um, and got us to play some really good football. Um, it's it's just been such a credit to him and the rest of the team for Deserby, because you know it, it it's clear that that identity flows throughout the whole football club. Um, and yeah, fair play to him for playing a really good game, like not being cautious or anything like that. He he went out and he wanted to play Deserby's way, and and we did. Yeah, it would have been very easy in those last 10 minutes, I suppose, just to sit back and just play out for the draw. But no, we we we, we certainly played to win. Unfortunately, that, that didn't happen. Dagan, I felt that the, the goals were preventable. You know, I know football's all about mistakes and, you know, capitalising on them. But, you know, the first goal, uh, a through ball cleaved our defence in two. Uh, Dunk did well enough to, to you know, to push the ball against the post. It fell very kindly back to Saar, who, who slots it in. And then the second goal, I, Purvis is trying to play him offside. He, he sort of dilly-dallies and then, you know, Johnson's in and it just all seemed very preventable for me. What did you, what did you make of uh, the goals we conceded yesterday? So I'll first say throughout the first half, the urgency with which we were defending seemed maybe the best I've seen all year. Guys were not left unmarked. 
if there was any space, we closed the space very quickly. Um, I thought Lamptey was especially good in that respect when he was in a position to defend and was back. Um, we, we gave the ball away cheaply a number of times. Purvis involved in, in a good number of those. Um, and guys just rushed to get themselves in a good spot and make it hard for them to score. Uh, even, even with a few things going wrong, leading to that first opportunity for Sar, Dunk did well and got himself there to make that block. Uh, just incredibly unlucky for it not to scoot by the post one. And then incredible, even far more incredibly unlucky kind for Sar, as you said, but very unkind to us that it landed right in his lap with steel already on the ground anticipating the shot as well it was an open net um that's that's just really really unfortunate luck at the end of what was would have been one of many sort of saving blocks because we had we had a number um or blocks of you know would be opportunities that were crosses um i just you know i i think it's hard to be critical of how we defended yesterday up until the 96 minute um you know that that was a mistake we got too many guys too far forward Estupignan, as you as you said, tried to create an offside. You saw him literally pull his chest back uh, when the pass was made, but he slowed himself down and then got run past. And it was just, it was the perfect conclusion to a nightmarish game for him that ended in the ultimate nightmare of, you know, conceding a pretty easy finish uh, that really was almost singularly him getting beat. Uh He's a great player. He had, I think, his worst game in the shirt and one of the poorest games I've seen from an Albion player in the two years I've been watching. Um, and it, it was, it was, it was a shocking performance. Uh, yeah. So, but I, I will say, Van Hecke was sensational. The man marking was sensational. And I think it, tactically, I think it was the right thing. Right, the Spurs beat you by getting ahead of steam, sending three or four guys at you, and moving the ball around and getting a good chance and finishing. And they finish clinically when they do. We just did not give them a ton of chances. Um, and then Steele came up with a couple when they had some decent ones. So, so I thought, you know, all around defensively, there was a lot to feel good about. If we defend that way every game, we're going to win a lot more points over the rest of the schedule than we have thus far. Because um, the Spurs are a team that can really put goals in the net. Uh, and and we made it not super easy for them to do that yesterday. Uh, not to mention, you know, Welbeck shot, Ansu Fadi's shot that dribbled left. I mean, the margins were so slim. I, I don't – a lot of people say we got, you know, oh, we got really outplayed yesterday. By our standards, yes, it was a really pretty even game in terms of a lot of the metrics. They did have like the relative dominance uh, in looking at, at the comparison, but it it wasn't extreme. And saying saying we didn't deserve points from yesterday to me is really harsh. Um, certainly a point, and I think it would have been very easy for us to have left with two or with three. Excuse me, two goals, three points. Yeah. Yeah, we, we, we certainly could have done. Um, and now it's a chance for us to invite our special guest on. So welcome to, ooh, welcome to you, Stephen. Stephen, thank you ever so much uh, for joining us again on the Albion Obsessed podcast. Uh, for listeners and viewers, if you're not sure who Stephen is, Stephen is a winner of MasterChef. Stephen, I think you're the youngest ever winner. Is that correct? Uh, I was, I was at the time, um, but there's been a lot of young winners since it was 10, 10 years ago. So uh, it feels like a lifetime away. <laughs> well, it is absolutely fantastic to have you on again, Stephen. Now, Stephen, just before we get into talking about the wonderful pl- things that are going on with you and the Tunnel Club, uh, um, you were at the game yesterday. Just love to get your your thoughts on how the Albion played and sort of 
how sickening that last minute winner for Spurs was. Yeah, I thought um, Brighton actually played really well. I think Tottenham were heavy favourites. Tottenham had been playing quite well at home um, of late. Um, and I kind of expected Tottenham to be playing a little bit better. And I felt that a lot of the game was was congested in the middle of the park. Um, and to be honest, I was quite surprised to see the amount of shots that Tottenham had when I looked at the stats after the game. Because I felt it it was a lot more even than, um, than that kind of showed. I think a draw was a fair result. Um, but towards like the last... A draw would have been a fair result. Sorry, obviously we lost. But the last 10 minutes was very um like both teams going for it which was exciting to see and it could have gone either way and unfortunately it didn't go our way yeah it was uh, really unfortunate and joe i mean dagan mentioned about ansu fati um and ansu fati returning has been fantastic a man we haven't really spoken about much uh, at the moment mitoma having him back was absolutely excellent and dagan said at the top of the show we didn't feed Matoma enough. Um, and I think he was sort of the standout player in the absence of Jao Pedro. Now, of course, we've got quite a few players injured. We've still got a lot of players returning um, from injury or in the case of Adingra, you know, from the African Cup of Nations when that concludes. Um, how much are we missing that creativity? Um, and is it a lot of pressure to put on the likes of Ansu Fati and Julio and Ciso uh, when they do return? Because obviously they're recovering from injury and usually we'd sort of... You know, you know, bed them back into the squad quite slowly, yeah. but we don't really have the luxury of, of perhaps doing that the way we would normally do. I think hopefully the pressure would be alleviated if we can get Jao Pedro back. I don't know how long he's out for. Um, I think it was a couple of weeks or something like that. I'm not sure on the time frame. Um, but with the Albion uh, medical staff, you never quite know how long it's going to be, is what I've come to know. Um, I think what's been really difficult is the fact that Jao Pedro's had to be that creative outlet for us and, and, and the guy that brings us the pace and, and the, the, the flair. Um, and then he gets injured and then Matoma has to do the same yesterday. Um, I know Fakondo gives us a little bit, but not quite the, on, on the pacey side of things. Um, so I, I'm not sure there's going to be much pressure on Ansu Fati and, and, and CISO. They come in um, at the same rough time, obviously, and CISO's back with the squad now doing a few bits here and there. So hopefully he's only a few weeks away. Um, so hopefully we can get all of those guys back at the same time and, and the, the pressure then is taken off of them so that they can work together. Like we saw when uh, Matoma and Fatty came on against Bournemouth earlier this season, the creativity they gave us instantly and then bang, bang, two goals. Um, so hopefully that that's similar for us. Obviously, Adingra coming back is playing in the final later today. We wish him the best of luck um, and hopefully he can get another major uh, international trophy. Uh, and that would, would be the second Albion player to get a major international trophy whilst at the club, I think. Um, so, yeah, um, we, we're in good stead looking forward for our attacking options. Um, I'm just a little bit worried, obviously, with the, the injury to, to Hinch and to possibly Eagle. Um, that we're looking a bit like the other way now, which where, where's the balance going to end? Like we just need it to balance out and that we can have a, a decent enough score going into the, the next few Premier League games and obviously the Europa League coming back soon as well. So yeah, frustrating, but um, we will adapt like we have done. Yeah, 
I think we certainly will. Um, so, gents, just um, just before we go on to talking to Stephen about his wonderful things that he's got coming up, I'd just like to push you for a, a player of the match, um, if I can. Joe, I think I know who you're going to go with, but uh, tell me anyway. Andrea Maldera. Um, no, uh, Jean-Paul Van Hecker, I think. Uh, just absolutely class. Um, I've, I've already given my reasons earlier. You certainly have done. Uh, Dagan, who, who caught your eye yesterday? I mean, I, I had I had three. Uh, Lamptey was in the running the first half, but he waned. He 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 was tired uh, so much so that he was completely gassed by the end of it and just sat down. Um, for me, for me, it was Pascal Gross. Like I, I really thought yesterday was one of his finest performances in all the little stuff that no one sees. Everyone sees the creativity, but not everybody sees the defensive positioning. And I thought yesterday he was exceptional in that respect. And I think we would have looked a lot worse off and probably would have conceded many more had he not so often dropped into space and put himself in the right spot. So uh, Van Heck, and that was in part because Van Hecke was pushed so far up the pitch, man marking incredibly disrupting the attack at that end. And so I thought those two for me are, are the two. So I'm not going to let Pascal Gross miss this one. This might be the first time I've named him man of the match, Pascal Gross. Ooh, oh, Pascal should feel very privileged. Um, Stephen, as the person, you know, amongst us who was there, uh, who who stood out for you? Because there was a, lo- a lot of good performances across the pitch that perhaps the scoreline doesn't reflect. Were there any players that really stood out to you? Yeah, I'm glad um, Joe and Dagan didn't me- mention this player. It was um, Billy Gilmore, um, who's, not, who's who's a player that I've never really appreciated what what he does. But seeing uh, the performance live, he was he was playing like Kante. I, I would compare him to, and that's quite some praise. The way he was like clearing up um, the ball, get getting the ball moving again, and kind of starting those attacks, uh, which is such an important job for for modern footballers now. Um, and he's almost a little bit um, underappreciated, maybe at the club. No, I I, I fully agree. Big big fan of uh, Billy Gilmore. Um, I think all of the players you've just mentioned. Tom, can uh, you can you full name him, please? Billy Clifford Billy Gilmore. Clifford Gilmore. Yeah, no, I, 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 I rate Billy very high, and I thought he was excellent yesterday as well. Um, I'm going to give a shout out to Jason Steele because people were very critical of his inclusion in the starting eleven, but he kept us in the game. Um, so I'm going to give out a massive shout out to Jason. Steele. So you know what? I'm going to give it to Steely. Um, you know, just because I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be different because I was going to give it to Billy Gilmore, but Stephen. Stephen stole oh. my man of the match. But no, I want, I want to give out the shout out to Jason Steele because, as I say, um, not that he would read social media, but obviously with so many people, you know, when Steele was named in the 11, moaning and criticising and perhaps fairly so, um, I thought, you know, it would have been very easy for him after Luton to sort of drop a clangor early on. And but no, he kept, he kept oh, us in the game. He kept us you, in the game. Do you still feel like Steele has that reputation of Sunderland Till I Die documentary on his back? Yeah, definitely. Which I think is quite unfair given how he's held himself. Yeah, I mean, you talk to to fans of other football clubs, and the amount of them that play in like League One level that say they wouldn't they wouldn't have steel in their team. I think that it it is going to be very hard for him to to shake that from people that don't watch him week in week out, and even people that do. And I think I I, I don't I don't think goalkeeping is our strongest position. If I'm honest, I think. You know, Steele is excellent with the ball at his feet. His distribution is usually very excellent. And he, and he's a reasonably good shot stopper. But I think he's got the worst percentage of of goals against, like in terms of like his shot saving percentage in the league. 
Um, so maybe he has got that cloud above him, but I think what he brings in terms of distribution is exactly what Deserby wants. Um, I would like to see more of Bart, and by the end of the season, I would expect or certainly would have expected at the start of the season for Bart to be the number one. Um, but obviously, I don't pick the, the starting eleven, and it's just going to be really interesting to see how the next couple of months sort of progress. But you know, I I, I moaned when Steele, I say moaned, I questioned Steele's inclusion in the eleven after Palace, shall we say? So he he's done he's done enough, you know, yesterday to earn us a point. And it's just unfortunate that that wasn't the case with, you know, the lucky first goal and then Purvis trying to play a player offside that, you know, that, that didn't work. Um, yeah, absolutely gutting for the team and for Steely there, because I'm sure, you know, they would have all left the pitch thinking that a point was, you know, the least they deserved, but it was not to be right then. So that's the Spurs game. Done. Let's draw a line under that and move on. Because, Stephen Edwards, you've got something cooking up for us on Thursday, the 29th of February, I hear. So, Stephen, um, tell us about what's happening on Thursday, the 29th of February. So I'm working or have been working with the, the Brighton and Hove Foundation, um, which I'm sure you're all aware of the fantastic work that they do. Um, and, you know, part of me being... Um, the creative force behind the Tunnel Club. We wanted to try and do more events, try and show people what what we actually do at the Tunnel Club um, on those non-match days, but also work with the foundation and raise raise money. Um, so we've got um, a, a charity dinner. It's called What a Difference a Day Makes. Um, basically celebrating that extra day we've got this year and kind of using that to reflect on... Um, charity essentially and raising money for 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 good things uh we've got a really similar menu um that we would normally do at the tunnel club so guests can enjoy that um and lots of fundraising um going on uh, but it really just gives people that insight into into what the tunnel club's all about because i, I still think not many people people know how good it is there and and the facility that brighton have put um you know right next to the pitch yeah, could you tell us a little bit about the successes of it this season? Obviously, we we had you on um, earlier yep. this season to talk about it before um, it launched in pre-season. Um, but yeah, how how's it gone, Stephen? No, I'm I'm really love being there and, and working with Brighton. I think um, I was obviously a little bit nervous. I think when we last spoke, I was actually nervous about Brighton as well. If I remember, I was I was a little bit scared of how Deserby was going to juggle everything. Um, but I really feel like we've um, we found our feet down at the Tunnel Club. What's really nice is it, it tends to be the same crowd um, coming back, so we get constant feedback in terms of like dishes that they want to see. I think they want to see different food and and kind of put the pressure on me to be as creative as possible, which is uh, a perfect job for a, for a chef. Um, and it's just nice to, to catch up with them. Yesterday, I was able to go to, to the Tottenham game because of the Tunnel Club. So I went with the Tunnel Club members um, and had to cook them sausage rolls on the way home. <laughs> that was my, my ticket um, ticket for the match. Um, but the facility itself, it's, it's 60 people, 60 covers. It's quite big. One of the best moments, I think, was in the second game of the season, or might have even been the first game against Luton. We had the, the padded seat in. So straight away, big pressure to deliver there. And I think he said it was one of the best experiences he's had in a football stadium. Um, so we're really proud, proud of that. Yeah, yeah what's I, that like? For, I watched for that. The, that was really good. 
What's that like for the immersion for for the for the fans that are, are seeing these incredible games like you know beating Palace four one, beating Spurs, and you know seeing the players walk in elated or if it's been not quite the game they wanted, like um, in in the like uh, Europa League. Um, how's that been for them in terms of the immersion factor? I, I think that's one of the best. Obviously, it's one of the best selling points. I, I think my food is the best selling point, but I'm going to say that. <laughs> But uh, no, no, the main attraction is is the tunnel. So you've got two sides of the restaurant are one way one way glass, so the players can't see into the restaurant, but the guests can see out uh, to those players um, lining up before they go out. But like Joe said, the emotion of of winning a game, losing a game, uh, seeing you know players like throw their shirt on the floor as as they're coming through, I think um, you know that's better than what I thought it was going to be, and even further down the line you can see like after match interviews going on so it's nice to see the manager talking and and, and how that happens because I'm a big fan of match of the match of the day and you almost you don't realize like what's going on behind the camera um and seeing that it is literally a person in the middle of the tunnel with all the sponsors behind um answering those questions with the players walking walking behind incredible you know it's, it's one of those things you, you talk about the padded seat that was um that was a real eye-opener because you hear it but actually seeing it and seeing you know it was a it was a very glowing review uh that was given and it absolutely looks uh fantastic and as joe says a really immersive experience so just coming back to this event on thursday the 29th yeah. of february which um i which i wonder how many people twigged when i said the 29th of february because it's, it's it's a leap year um so tell us about that can you can you tell us about the food that you're going to be serving on that or is that kept heavily under wraps no the food the food the menus live so anyone that wants tickets we've still got a couple of tables available uh tickets are priced at 200 pound a person which is is expensive but um we're looking to raise up to ten thousand pounds or as much money as possible for the foundation so uh, part of the ticket price will be going um to them and like I said, we've got a fundraising um, auction and, and raffle going on after the dinner. But the dinner itself, we're using um, kind of using our suppliers to, to help donate food or to help keep those costs down. So we've got, for starters, we've got um, a guy called Farm. We call him Farmer Tom. It's called Tom Morphew, who runs something called Full Circle Farms. Again, another great person to check out on social media. And it's someone that I've been working with maybe for the last like six years who's been taking all our food waste, composting it down, and then growing um, more fruit and vegetables with uh, with that compost, essentially. So that's that explains why it's called Full Circle. Um, and we basically just said to him, any vegetables he's got, we're going to basically marinate them, pickle some of them, and then serve them with burrata and char-grilled sourdough as a starter. We then got um, slow-cooked beef. So beef has been a staple on the menu since the beginning. Um, and we're serving that with salt-baked celeriac and our famous side dishes of triple-cooked chips, hispy cabbage with garlic mayo, and then uh, carrots with black sesame and coriander. And then to finish, I mean, the winter, it always seems like it's been quite long winter at the moment. Uh, so we've got the first of the Yorkshire rhubarb, which we're going to poach and served with some set custard um, so really nice, fresh, uh, almost like springy feel to the to the end of the meal as well. Ooh, there you go. If that doesn't sell it, I don't know what will. Um, you said there, <laughs> Stephen, about um, some of the the prizes as well that are going to yep. be given away. Um, I see, like you know, that 
there's some things from like Norman Cook, which is absolutely yep. fantastic. Um, so do you, what other kind of prizes and, and things can people like, can they get? So I've given, um, I've given the foundation a meal cooked in, uh, in someone's home for up to, I think it's up to 12 guests where I'll be a private chef for the evening. So I think that's a, that's a big prize, but we're looking, um, I mean, the foundation have been organizing these prizes. It's not, you know, we're not looking for like a hundred prizes. We're not trying to string out the, the, the evening. What we want is some really unique, almost like money can't buy prizes. And that's where we've had, um, Norman Cook coming in and, and, doing what he's done which is fantastic we've also got um an artist called kim the artist who's had all the players sign a piece of her work which she's done um kind of showcasing uh brighton and hove football club in a piece that she's specifically done for this for this dinner which is which is really nice to see um and like i said money can't buy prizes is is what we want um want there and i think that's where we're going to get the most money raised uh for, for the foundation yeah, as you say, it's, it's an absolutely fantastic cause. The, the Brighton Hove Albion Foundation do some truly, truly wonderful work uh, across the community. So it's a it's a big, big, wonderful thing to be a part of. So kudos for you, Stephen, for, for being a part of it. Um, Stephen, tell me about your restaurant, Etch, um, because yeah. if people can't get tickets to this, where can, what you know, and they want to taste your amazing food, can they, t- can they just rock up to your restaurant, Etch, and, and you know, sample the, the delicacies that you can provide? Yeah, so Etch is based in in Hove, uh, just on the on the edge of Brighton, um, and we've got a lovely restaurant which we've had there for uh, nearly seven years now. It's our anniversary in March, so really proud of that. Um, and we just offer a taster menu that changes six times a year, uh, so five or seven courses. The five course menu is fifty pounds, um, and then there's a few upgrade courses that people can go for. We've got a lovely speakeasy cocktail bar beneath the restaurant called Ink. Um, which I always recommend if anyone wants a drink before or after dinner. Um, and, yeah, I, I think I'd always advise booking. We, we tend to be quite booked up, especially with our, our £50 menu at the moment, um, which is, you know, flying like hotcakes, excuse the pun. Um, but I really think um, that if you haven't been to Etch, you need, you need to come and see what we're doing, especially while we've got that, that menu um, going. And I think... I was saying to the guys in the restaurant, I think we're going to carry this £50 menu on for the rest of the year. It's been such a hit with our guests. We're getting such great feedback and it's just nice. It's a lot more accessible um, and it's nice to see new faces in the restaurant and kind of showing people what we what we can do. Yeah, I know for a fact that my auntie is a massive fan of your restaurant. She comes a lot. Um, oh, so, thank you. Uh, yeah, um, definitely uh, recommended to, to people that haven't been there yet. I'm going to chance my arm because why not, Stephen? Shoot your shot and all that. Um, yep. Any uh, any free spaces for your favourite Brighton and Albion podcast at the Tunnel Club? At the Tunnel Club? Unfortunately, I can't. I'm not in control of the Tunnel. I'm in control of Etch. I can do something Sorry. for you at Etch if you'd like to come. The Tunnel Club is, um, this is the most ever since I've been in charge there, it's uh, the most common question I get in my DMs. is like, can you get me a ticket to this game? Can you get me a ticket to that? And unfortunately, I don't have the power to, uh, or not the power yet. Hopefully I'll have the power one day to be able to say, yeah, come come as my guest. But that all belongs to the club. Um, And I I think they do get spare tickets for some of the Europa games or um, some of the games that aren't included in the package. Um, And I think they're normally sold. It's normally about, again, like £500 a ticket um for, for those but it's all food included all drinks included heated leather seats charging points concierge and and you can be there for i think five or six hours in total so you kind of beat the the traffic both sides 
Um, but that's where things like this, uh, the charity dinner, is is so important because it, it kind of gives you uh, behind-the-scenes access to, to the Tunnel Club. It would be nice to do another event after this that's a little bit more accessible in terms of pricing. But I think we really wanted the first event to be... Um, something that we're raising money for the foundation because it, that's so important and it's something i didn't mention earlier but i actually did uh, an evening with the foundation at um at lansing the the center center of excellence i don't know if you guys have heard of it or seen it i i hadn't heard of brighton's um training center in lansing but it's it's phenomenal it's like oh, state-of-the-art um like, i think it's like five or six pitches and it was really nice to work with the foundation and um we did like an amputee session and I was like, I was, I was blowing. Like I was, they're so, they were so fit. They're like such a good, uh, good team, and put me to shame. Yeah, I, I was lucky enough to go there when uh, we appointed Chris Hutton as manager. I won a competition to welcome him to the club as such, and it was yeah, incredible to be there and you know, seeing the facilities it's that they have. On the a lot, is it, Joe? It's almost uh, like not a overly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's just. Sort of- yeah, when I discovered it, I was like, wow, like this is yeah. this is really cool. It puts us like with the top clubs in the country to have that Definitely. facility. There's um something obviously um that fans were doing were turning up there to get autographs from players, etc. Oh. And I think the club sort of wanted to do away with it because obviously it's their place of work, etc. And yeah. probably is something that is kept under wraps. But um a lot of people go there for like under twenty ones games. I think they they do it for season ticket holders that you can go there and, and watch a game there. So that's pretty good from the club that you can sort of be involved in some way. Um at the yeah, as you say, incredible facilities that are up there probably in the top five in the yeah. Premier League, I'd say. It's a bit greedy of them to have all those pitches. I'm trying to actually random aside. I'm trying to get one built at the school I work at um, because our playing field is constantly flooded and just the, the hoops that you have to jump through. So, Brighton and Albion, please let me borrow one of your pitches or <laughs> give, give it to Maybe me that's the prize that Stephen can put on. Uh... <laughs> Transfer the from Brighton all the way up to the West Midlands. Um, Stephen, I have a well it probably isn't a random question i'm sure you've been asked it before but i genuinely like to know as someone who likes to cook Mm. as someone who does it for their day job when you get home does the thought of cooking like is that like bringing your work home with you or do you still enjoy it even when you just you know you're at home and perhaps you're not being as uh, fancy or whatever as you work you just want a pizza do you enjoy that or is is that still um, it's a it's a really good question and I've always said there's two types of like cooks or chefs. It's you got your home cook, and then you've got your 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 chef. Your home cook, you're you're by yourself, and they're normally people that have all the gadgets at home, like thermomixes. You know, they go, they probably spend three or four hours creating a fantastic meal, and then you've got myself who works as with a team in a restaurant. Who it could just be like two or three elements that we're doing to to kind of put it together. Um, but I've got a lot of admiration for home cooks that do spend that time and doing like homemade pasta. Uh, I haven't got the time or energy to do that at home, unfortunately. So that kind of answers your question. But I do, I don't like not enjoy it. I, I'd rather cook and kind of give, um, you know, my wife the night off. And just because I find it easy or if it's like Christmas, I'll always cook just because I don't want the, don't want someone stressed or feeling like it's a it's a chore like but for me i just find it very easy to to cook at home i just won't go as far as the the, the that passionate home cook um who is literally pulling out all the stops which i really admire anyone that cooks a lot at home they must have like patience of a saint 
I actually find cooking really therapeutic. Like a lot of people, after, a lot of people yeah. say that. Yeah, long day at work. Well, I don't, I'm, unfortunately. No. <laughs> <laughs> Tom, uh, Tom and I are both in education, um, and I was, I was. You, you referenced earlier the creative element to your work. Mm. I was talking with my son this morning, uh, who attends an art an arts high school, and he was saying culinary arts should be at our school. Like it's it's an art form. Yeah, you know, writing, painting, culinary is is an art form um what would you say to young people about sort of getting into your line of work what does a potential pathway look like what should they be doing at 16 17 and then sort of what should they pursue if if they want to sort of follow a similar track to you and maybe have a restaurant of their own one day in the in the dream of dreams yeah i mean first of all i think cooking should be in all schools i think that's really important whether you enjoy cooking or not um to learn about ingredients I think it's fundamental to to our diets and understanding where food comes from gives um, gives everyone a real appreciation of the hard work like farmers um, and producers uh, go through to get the food to us. Um, and I don't know why it, it's not the same with things like accounting. I think should be part. You know, like our finances at home should be taught uh, taught in schools. But a pathway for a young um, person making it into a kitchen, if they've got that passion, they enjoy cooking at home, um, is, is really just to put themselves out of their comfort zone. Um, even from the age of 16, you can approach restaurants and say, I mean, we do this here, it's called like a stage, so you can work alongside chefs. So kind of giving up your time, but seeing what that what it would look like to be a professional chef. Because there is a difference, like I said earlier, between being a, a fantastic home cook and a a chef that's paid paid for a living and some people will come into it and be like wow i definitely want to be a chef at the end and some people will be like tom who finds the cooking side of it therapeutic and something they just want to do once a week rather than you know five days a week um but yeah i think like any job you've just got to put yourself out there and kind of look at the food that you like to cook and maybe find your favorite restaurant and just approach them even if it's like I'm happy like being a pot wash, but I want to see what the chefs are doing. You've got to start somewhere and working your up, way up from the bottom is the best way to do it. hundred percent. And Tom, just before we sign off, um, I just want to tell people that as Stephen mentioned earlier, there are still tickets available for the 29th of February. What a difference a day makes uh, in association with Brighton and Albion Foundation. Um, the link is in the description if you do want to go and experience that. Um, as Stephen mentioned, £200 a ticket. Please, if you can, um, you know, donate for such a fantastic cause. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be the £200 ticket. If you can't go, you know, donate £5, £10, whatever you can afford to the foundation. Um, it goes a very long way. Yeah, thank you. It, it really does. And, uh, you know, we thank you ever so much, Stephen, for, for coming on again. Um, I hope that the, the, the 29th goes really well for yourself and the foundation. And I hope, um, you know, you reach your goal of £10,000 um, to really help the foundation do what they do, which is so brilliant. And all the best, Stephen, as well with the, the rest of the season and the Tunnel Club. It is an experience that looks like no other. Stephen, just a well, out of curiosity, how yeah. long is the waiting list for the Tunnel Club? Because mm. I bet that's got a hefty waiting list. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a good question. It's probably something that the club will know. I know that the the members have signed up for three years. So they've signed yeah up until the end of the 2026 season, I think it is. Um, that's why my job's a little bit hard is like trying to keep that food fresh and innovative each time. But the more things we do with the tunnel club, 
um, and, and trying to promote it, it just gets people more excited about want, wanting to, to join on, uh, you know, for that next round. Um, because I'm sure the members, I mean, it would be great to have them for, for forever, but I'm sure as a lot of these things uh, with memberships in the club, they off, people often like chop and change and go around to different experiences that the club offers. So um, definitely contact Brighton and Hove and, and get on that waiting list and, and be the first to find out when um, Tunnel Club tickets are available. Yeah, I just wanted to say again, um, just to echo what Tom said, thank you so much for coming on uh, for a second time. Um, we'll have to get you on at the end of the season as well to find out how the, the Tunnel Club's gone for, for the whole season. Um, and we'll send you a, a hat-trick match ball as well uh, for the, for the oh. third time. <laughs> It'd be great to see like what our... Because the last time I was on, we were like, talking about our predictions for the season. It would mm. almost be like good to like touch base on that because I think Brighton are doing a, a much better than I thought. Because I do think juggling uh, the Premier League in Europe is has always caught a lot of teams out, and yeah, to be where we are in Europe is fantastic. And you know, we're we're doing relatively well in the Premier League as well. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. Yeah, we'll we'll get you back on. Um, I'll, I'll pop you an email sort of towards the end of the season for sure, um, and we'll uh, we'll have a good chat about the football and 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 the Tunnel Club. Mm. And uh, just uh, just now we've played what about half the season, Stephen? Where yeah. do you predict? we'll finish in the table and we can revisit this in the summer then. Where do you think we'll finish in the Premier League table and how far do you think we'll go in Europe? Because yeah. how, how does it work with European places this this year? Because I think um, the Champions League format's switched a little bit, hasn't I think it? And is it the top eight? Dependent oh, on, the cup on the cups as well, yeah. Um, then it'll, I think, filter down. If if people who are already in a European competition or already qualified win the cups, I think it filters down to eighth, yeah. eighth spot. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'd like us to get European football next year. I think we're more than capable of doing that with the players that we've got coming back from injury. Um, so I'm going to say eighth and hope that that's enough to get to get European football. But I want to see us progress as far as we can in Europe, because that's a really exciting journey that we're on. Yeah, it certainly is. And we've said it on this podcast many, 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 many times where we were, what, 25, 26 years ago to now is just mind-boggling. Yeah. So the fact that, you know, we're we're into the last 16 of the Europa League is incredible. Um, let's see. Tom, can I just get. say, we've, we've West Ham have just taken one hell of a battering. And um, so for eighth spot, it's looking good. They're minus six goal difference now because Arsenal oh just beat them six nil. Oh my goodness. I saw it was four nil at half time and I was listening to talk sport and I think they said that West Ham were doing well to, to stop any more goals, but that obviously didn't um, happen. <laughs> Oof. Yeah. I think that that battle for eighth is going to be, you know, heating up and um, fingers crossed we can do it and fingers crossed we can go as far as we can in Europe, but we've still got a lot of football to play injuries, be damned we look forwards to the Sheffield United game our second visit in what two weeks fun times eh um so thank you to Joe Dagan and to special guest Stephen for joining us here today thank you Stephen again for for chatting to us about your the work you do for the panel club and also the event you've got planned on the 29th of February don't forget to like share and subscribe for more content if you haven't done so already check out the links below in regards to the event on the 29th and wherever you may be whenever you may be we'll see you next time take care 